They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menzoir. I need somebody help, not just anybody help. You know I need someone help. 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 Somebody help us with this song. Well, help us with this new season. Oh, oh it is the new goodness. season. It is. And, and our guest today uh, provides thousands with help on a regular basis. Yeah, he personally needs no help. He, he doesn't. He's one of the smartest guys we know. Exactly. Yes. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the new season of Thoughts That Rock, the podcast about exchanging two pieces of life-changing advice that we squeeze into about 30 minutes. Yeah, and this episode, like many others in the past, is sponsored by Certified Rockstar. I can easily say that because that's our gig. <laughs> it's basically our fully customized leadership training program. You've heard us talk about it before. We have a half day, a full day, a virtual version, even a multi-day mastermind. If you know, you got a few dollars in your pocket you ought to check that thing out at certifiedrockstar.com thoughts that rock help support cannibal kids cancer mm-hmm. and their fight for finding and funding treatment options for kids who've run out of options they're absolutely amazing do us a favor please go check out how you can be involved at cannonballkidscancer.org and if you like the show i do please take a moment I have. We've been around now, coming up on two years. Yeah, two years. So give us that five star rating, um, and uh, you know, write it. Maybe write a little, a little word or two that says a, an appropriate response. Right. Amazing. Yes, that would be appropriate. Phenomenal. Appropriate. Best ever. Mm, pushing mm. it. Eh, all right. <laughs> pushing it. Maybe. That's fine. Hey, listen, we know how busy you are and grabbing those little nuggets of wisdom. We get it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you want to amp up your life. You want to make it better. But those things are hard to come by. Truth. And honestly, you're probably doing two things at once and it doesn't even matter to us. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. You could probably be, I, I guess, eating a sleeve of Girl Scout cookies. Mm-hmm. You could be doing that right now. Maybe you're skateboarding through Central Park. <laughs> Maybe you're sitting with the family around the fireplace just listening to the show. Marshmallows. Doesn't matter to us. We just want to be the 30 minutes you've been looking forward to all week. Let's do it. Let's rock. Our guest today is Tom Webster, who is the senior VP of Edison Research, Mm -hmm. which is a custom market research company best known as the sole providers of exit polling data during the U.S. elections for all the major news networks. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But first off, Tom, welcome to Thoughts That Rock. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Love the show, and I'm really honored to be here. Thanks, man. Us too. Yeah. Full disclosure, Tom is a good friend. And to be honest, one of the early proponents of Thoughts That Rock and really helped us. Yep. He's the guru. We uh, we elevate him to points that he's uncomfortable with. <laughs> and uh, we are just, he's one of the smartest guys we know. And uh, it's it's been too long before he's finally been on the show, but we are excited that he's here today. Yeah. He's what we call a triple threat. He's got, he's super smart. 
I was going to say he's, he's married <laughs> to the coolest person. Yeah, okay, true. And he's got this awesome radio voice, like That's the right. best radio voice we know. Like That's he's, right. He's phenomenal. I was going to say I, I didn't know you could dance, but that that's amazing. Was that you thought that was one of the I three? thought that was one of the triple threats. No. Okay. <laughs> So in addition to his awesome position at Edison, uh, which I hope we do spend a little bit of time talking about, he's got 20 plus years of experience researching consumer usage of technology and new media and social networking. He is a frequent keynote speaker on consumer behavior and data. He's the principal author of a number of widely cited studies around podcasts and smart audio and social media again and digital media consumption. And, you know, just I, I think if you get a chance, you really got to go check out his podcast. He co-hosts that with his wife, Tamsin, who we adore, who's been on the show. She was yep. here in season one. I think she was one of the early right. people on. And the name of that podcast is The Free Noter, where they share a lot of thoughts and insights and best practices and I don't know, the pros and cons of speaking for free. And so Tom's got a, a, a great background. I think uh, I, I've seen in his bio where he shared a martini with Tom Jones. And what? Yeah, and has shown uh, Paula Abdul a bad card trick. So I don't know if that's going to come up, but that's boom. Already <laughs> no, no, right out of the gate. Brother, we've got questions. <laughs> <laughs> so many, so many questions. I have to say a martini with Tom Jones. That's pretty amazing. Pretty cool. Is he as cool as we think he is? Uh, yeah, he's, you know, he's, uh, not that tall. Uh, he is as cool as you think he is. He's probably, he's way cooler than I am. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, no, we, we had a martini together. We were at a, at a very strange after party for this thing that he performed at, uh, that was a part of my, my company at the time. And, and, uh, we had an unusual martini. Okay. (laughs) That's good. More to the story. That's it. But, um, you know, it's not unusual. What what, what was the bad card trick with uh, Paul Abdul? Did it just fail on you or it just wasn't that exciting? No, I was drunk, (laughs) Um, to be honest. Yeah. And it it turns out, you know, if you think drinking and driving are bad, um, drinking and magic, even worse. Even even worse. But so was was she. So I think she she liked it. you, You were able to. Yes, get away unscathed. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I escaped that. I don't think she remembers it. It, it, it. Maybe it was the standard by which she judged contestants on and the various judgy things yes. she's done. <laughs> yes. Well, at least it's better than that card trick that uh, Tom Wesley did for me. <laughs> yes. If only. If only she referenced that on a regular basis. <laughs> Well, that is awesome. Again, he's you know Tom's got such a great background, and uh, you know, but we want to jump right to the heart of this awesome advice. That's what uh, our audience is looking forward to. So, you know, versus that traditional long interview style that you hear in a lot of podcasts, we want to get right to the point of you sharing that piece of advice. So, we're going to leave the floor open to you, my friend. What is your thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock number one. Figure out what people are good at and then have them do that thing and they'll be successful. So I love that. I love it. I, well, I'm dying to know sort of the background for you because this is something that I think is incredibly important, especially in the corporate world of they have a title. So they think that whatever that title is, is exactly what they should be doing, but sometimes it's not their strength. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'd, tell us, tell us about the background of this, of where, who gave you this advice? How, how have you used it? Yeah. So uh, a long time ago, really at the start of my career in market research, which has been a a good one, um, my first boss in that business, Frank Cody, 
originally hired me to do sort of a logistics job, a very detail-oriented job to you know line up events and schedule things. And it was an entry-level job. And I was objectively terrible at it, just, just, <laughs> just terrible at it. And I think if I had been working for many people, they would have just said, you know what, you're not working out. Uh, but uh, Frank was not that kind of person. Frank really got to know me, really understood what I was good at. And he said, you know, Tom, maybe, maybe this job isn't the one for you, but I think you'd be really good at doing this with us. And he transitioned me uh, almost immediately into being a consultant. And I, I learned fast. I learned on the fly. Uh, you know, we got acquired a couple of times. And by the time I was age 29, I, w- I was a VP in a fairly large company. And that never would have happened if I had just been looked at by Frank as, you know what, you're lousy at scheduling events mm, or yeah. you're a terrible detail person. And I think we often focus on uh, strengths, right, yeah. and weaknesses and, and things like that and trying to bone up your weaknesses and, and, you know, shore up the things you're not very good at. But there's also something to be said for recognizing what what your genius is. And I think everybody has a genius. I think everybody hmm. has a genius. I really do. And I think the greatest managers and leaders recognize what your genius is. And instead of trying to, you know, squeeze you into something you're not very good at, they figure out, you know, if I have this person do this thing, we as a company are going to excel because that's their genius. So I'm a big believer in that. Yeah. And, and I know that you're also a fan of Marcus Buckingham. And uh, it, it's funny, when I was at Hard Rock, one of his first books that I really got exposed to, this is after that that guy had come out of, I guess, the Gallup organization. He wrote the book, uh, First Discover Your Strengths. And, you know, that, that book is really all about just focusing only on your strengths, so much so that he's basically saying that people will get exponentially better at that versus spending any of your time on developing weaknesses. And so I, I guess I'm curious because I've seen a lot of companies that have abandoned performance appraisals. You know, they just they, they wind up doing these performance discussions, but it's almost a given that if you're there another year, you're going to get more money, but you don't want people to go off the rails. So it's interesting to see that a lot of people are focusing only on their strengths, the really good companies that will do that. I guess, how would you recommend, you know, to people that want to do these things that make them feel strong, like you talk about, but it might not be a strength for them? Well, I think people can be a little too literal and prescriptive about those kinds of things. And I, you know, I, I don't know if I love companies that, you know, bring, gallop in and, and perform these big assessments mm-hmm. and say, all right, you, you belong in this box and you belong in that box. I, I think uh, that that does not make a well-rounded person. Um, but I do think it's appropriate to recognize what makes you feel strong and what makes you feel strong. That's that thing you're going to be able to just zone out and focus on and two hours fly right by and you don't even notice it. And you've, uh, and you've done a significant piece of work that you're proud of. And nobody can keep that up eight hours a day. Nobody can keep that up six hours a day, frankly. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky to have a good 10 minutes, guys. So, you know, a good 10 <laughs> minutes is kind of what I shoot for. It's the name uh, of my next I, book. I think it's, it's a good 10 minutes. Yeah, right? yes. I don't yeah. know. I'm not sure where that's going to be filed, but keep me posted. <laughs> totally um, fiction. <laughs> but Totally fiction. Uh, but, and I don't, th- you know, nothing should be prescriptive. Nothing should be all or nothing. But I, but I do think you need to recognize you know what, this is going to make me feel strong. So I'm going to, I'm going to slot this in between my expense reports and my, uh, and my travel bookings or whatever. 
Um, and it's really just sort of managing your, your, your flow throughout the day as much as anything. But I know, even though I, I can't exclude those other things from my life, I'm going to rise and fall on the strength of the things that make me feel strong. Mm. So I would imagine, Tom, that doing this and, and, and allowing people to sort of flourish with what they're good at has allowed you to collaborate, I would think, um, differently or at least perhaps more effectively uh, when you do allow people to, have you found that that's the case that some other things like collaboration end up actually sort of a side benefit of, of following this advice? Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's really just about building a great team and I'm fortunate at Edison to have a great team around me full of people with, you know, all kinds of different strengths and, and things that make each of them feel strong in their own way. And, uh, you know, the, the, the best projects that I'm involved with, are not just me managing a team, but it's it's picking the people that are going to be strong at the various elements and having them take ownership of those things. So I, I do very little managing when I'm managing my team. And instead, I have someone who's just fully in charge of this aspect and fully in charge of that aspect. And I trust them. I trust them. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, because they've 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 already they've already passed the bar to do well on that job. I, I know that. So if anything, it's just incredibly uh, liberating and you know, when we are producing, you know, a, something that's significant, uh, a significant piece of work from Edison or even in my own personal life, I can focus on the things that I know I'm going to be able to add value to, uh, as opposed to the things that I'm, I'm only going to make worse. So I, I, lo- I love the fact that in your example that you gave, you knew that this was not your strength, but <laughs> you knew that you were struggling and, you had uh, a, a, you know, a mentor boss who, who was able to say, let's get you to a place that you're actually going to be able to flourish. My question is, what happens when the person doesn't know they're not good at what <laughs> they're doing? How do you approach that so that you actually can let them figure out what they're good at. Have you, have you found yourself in that position ever where you've had to have a conversation with someone who maybe thinks they're amazing at what they do, but they're, that is a, uh, opinion of one. It's the off key girl in the choir. Is that where (laughs) someone needs to talk to her? I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Well, you know, as, as a, a, a good friend of mine, the poet Bruce Weigel, uh, once wrote, sometimes what we have to pass on to others is not always a gift. Um, and, I, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of, of letting people kind of set their own success standards. And if, if someone wants to tackle a job and I don't know if they're going to be good at it or not, uh, then I invite them to, to tell me what success looks like and to, to sort of outline uh, what are the consequences of success. It's not achieved. What's the backup plan? Because I'm inclined to trust people, and I think almost, uh, it, you know, overwhelmingly, trusting people has has worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually love that. Uh, you actually, this is very Jedi mind trick, brother. <laughs> Somebody says this is what I want to do, and you make them define what you what they think success looks like doing that, mm-hmm. and then you can hold them accountable to that. I I would assume, and that that is what makes it amazing. I would have never. Honestly, I would have never thought of that. I think most people in, in that situation, when somebody says, hey, this is what I want to do, it's almost like a, <laughs> you know, tell me why I should allow you to do that and not this, 
okay, to, to define what you think success looks like doing that. That is a completely different approach. And I hope everybody listening is listening to that advice because that is another thought that rocks. Yeah, I don't know if I'm a Jedi or not. I'm 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 probably like the first Jedi that gets killed in the Clone Wars. Like you don't even know. <laughs> you just see a lightsaber a clatter Padawan. to the ground. But you were a Jedi. Yeah, <laughs> but I was a Jedi, that's right. right? That's you know that's what do they call the person who graduates last from medical school? Doctor. That's yes. Right. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I, I just have this image of a Star Wars playing card with Tom's name on it, with a cloak on the ground and a lightsaber beside it. <laughs> <laughs> a cloak on the ground. <laughs> Tom will look good in a cloak. <laughs> Have you seen the uh, the what's the movie on Netflix? Is it Social Experiment? It's the one where they talk yeah, about yeah, social yeah, media, yeah. right? Yep, yep. Have you seen that dilemma? The not. social dilemma. Social dilemma. Have you seen yeah. that, Tom? I have not. It's no. so funny. They there there's a whole bunch of stuff that's in there, but one of the things they talk about is the amount of hours that kids obviously are spending on their phones. And it would, it, it probably wouldn't shock you, but it was something crazy like 65, 70 hours a week. And you're like, how is that possible with school and whatever they're doing at home? But that's the amount of time. And so it's sort of, when you were saying Jedi mind tricks, yes. this is kind of what these guys at the very end, the, the reveal is, here's how you sort of change the behaviors for some of the kids is if you were to ask them, what would, you know, how much time would you want to be on your phone? Like yeah. what would be the appropriate amount? And they wind up saying, I don't know, two hours a day, three hours a day, whatever okay. it is, it yeah. doesn't matter because it's going to be significantly lower than what they're doing. And if you go three hours done, let's have an agreement. You sign up yeah. on the agreement <laughs> and they know that the thing gets turned off or put away at some point. Yeah. And I think maybe sort of the, like you were saying, you, you, you present it in such a way that you get people to look at the extremes where they go, I think I can go for something a little bit better. And it winds up perhaps being a strength for them. And I guess I was trying to think of, we, we had a previous guest, Teresa Miles, who's the uh, executive director of the Women's Center in Jacksonville, right? Yep. One of our season one guests. And she had sort of a thought like yours, Tom. She said, do what you're good at, not what you love to do. Which was very odd for me because we always are teaching people and telling people, go yep. and do the stuff that you love. But Follow what she passion. was trying to make is, listen, maybe you would eventually love to do this. And yes, that would be great. You got to focus on your strength, get that success metric. And then, you know, you get to a point, you get to a place where you can ultimately do the things that you love. And so my question is sort of a, a different take maybe than what, what Brant was asking, or maybe even what you were saying about the Edison team, I guess, does this ever, this concept that you talk about maybe bear out in any of the statistics that you see when you're working with a team, whatever that group is, do you ever see that? geez, the, the results are great or not so great. And you can almost point back that you really have people in the wrong place. You don't have people positioned where they're focusing on their strengths. Can you make that connection? You know, uh, we haven't done any research on that, but I will pass on something that I think might help people to work in teams. And that is, uh, and I learned this very early on because I'm a bit of a round peg in a square hole at Edison myself. And when I started work, we have a, a significant study we put out every year called uh, the infinite dial it's sort of our flagship media study it's been in the field since 1998 so it's the longest running study of media and tech uh, in america and i started working on it in 2004 and the person who was kind of the project manager of that 
we were uh, we were just like uh, farmers and cowmen, um, you know, just just completely did not get along. And what I sort of learned and, and what I've taken from that experience uh, and other interactions that I've had with teams is uh, look for the friction that you have in your team. Think about why that friction is and uh, and understand that that friction is like a signpost that the person you're having friction with is, is, a, is a different genius than you. And what I learned is that the person that I was having all of this friction with uh, when I started working on the infinite dial team was so much better at the minutia of the project than I was. Yeah. And, and eventually I think he learned that I, that I had my own strengths in the project at, at kind of synthesizing data and, and things like that. But where you have those frictions, like steer towards them because that's what you're seeing are sort of signs that uh, someone else has a different genius than you. And if you can figure out ways for all of, of those sort of different strains of genius to exercise themselves, and contribute to the project, you're going to have a great project. Love that. I actually love it. I love approaching it as that person has a different genius than you, then that, mm-hmm. that person's an idiot or that person's an a-hole or that person, you know what I mean? You're just focusing so much on the negative stuff that you feel in that moment, but to actually go, well, they just have a different genius than me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I call it, guys, I call it the, uh, in fact, if I ever finish my book, which has been in progress for an embarrassingly long period of time. There's a whole subheading in it, which I have written, uh, called the, the, the Bon Jovi problem. Mm. And this is something I've learned as a, as a market researcher for 25 years now about the Bon Jovi problem. And it, it, it takes the following shape. When someone tells you, I don't understand how Bon Jovi has sold 80 million albums or how 80 million people have bought a Bon Jovi record, the correct response is, what you're saying is you don't understand 80 million people. Mm. And to me, a lot of these sort of management issues that we have are manifestations of the Bon Jovi problem. Like that person just doesn't get it. Actually, you don't get that person, right? Yep. Because they're, because that person represents millions of other people who are equally persnickety about things that you are not persnickety about. Mm-hmm. And if you understand how that persnickety-ness can be brought to bear with whatever your particular genius is, then, then again, you're, you're going to do great work. Um, but anytime you say, I don't understand why this person is like that, or I don't understand how this person can do that, you're just admitting you don't get people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think when you can be humble about that, then you can do great things. I literally want to see you on CNN tonight <laughs> saying what we have is a Bon Jovi problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because... <laughs> I think that could be used to describe exactly the division that, totally. that we have right now in this country is that it's we, we're focusing so much on what we think the cause of the uh, differentiation is or the, the whatever that might be, the separation, instead of admitting we don't understand 70 plus million people. You know what I mean? And, and what, no matter which side you're on, you know, and, and that to me, it, it says everything. It actually puts it into a very, if we could all look at that and go, well, they're a different type of genius mm-hmm. than we are. Yeah. As opposed to they're a this, that, or the other thing <laughs> that I think both sides are, are pointing fingers and, and accusing of right now. Um, it is deaf. I mean, what a great way to start actually being able to come together. I know that if I'm in a meeting and someone goes, Hey, Jim's a different type of genius than me. Um, I immediately go, Oh, Okay. 
Mm-hmm. So that guy thinks I'm a genius. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but but it's true. It's yeah. so. I mean, the ego is ridiculous. But I, I hear that. I literally. This is how my brain works, and this is why Jim is looking at me, laughing right now. I'm seeing the real men of genius Budweiser commercials in my head with Tom having this different kind of genius. And now I'm going to hear that every time I have a problem with somebody, I'm going to hear that jingle in the back of my head and go, instead of going, Jim's an asshole. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to go different Maybe kind Jim's of genius. genius asshole. <laughs> oh, mm. I don't like right? it. That's my next I don't book. like that title. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't like that either. But, you know, like I said, you can't always choose your gift. Oh, wow. Yes. I'm getting, I'm getting <laughs> double pounded here. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> He's not. Let's just, let's just get that out of the way. Jim is not. Not a genius. Why are you putting an exclamation point I was point waiting. I didn't want to just be too descriptive. I was just saying you're not. Don't worry, I'm going to totally edit this stuff out. You guys won't even miss it. It's fine. He does control the editing, Tom. So. This is a perfect point to move on to our thought. Perfect inflection point. Brant, what is our thought that rocks this week? So our thought that rocks this week um, actually comes from Chris Jammy, who is somebody that we have to tell you is like a modern-day philosopher that we really are trying to get him on this we show are. because we love – we just love some of the quotes that uh, that he has. And it says this. Thoughts that rock number two. You have to lift a person up before you can really put them in their place. And I think it's such a, a nice side dish to, to what Tom has served up today because... It's in that light. I look at it as the same way of if, if you are saying that this is person's a different kind of genius, you're literally lifting them up with a comment like that before you know where they're going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of us, we just jump to the putting them in their place without doing the you have to lift a person up first, right? And, and because of that, you get a lot of resistance <laughs> when, when you actually want to move somebody in a different direction because you're not lifting them up. You're simply moving them around. And, uh, I just love it. I love this idea that you have to lift a person up before you can really put them in their place. Uh, what do you think on, uh, do you get the same sort of vibe from that Tom as to sort of the, the thought that you shared? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think that exactly captures the spirit of, uh, what I think I've, I've learned over my several decades of continuous service. It's so, it's such an easy thing, but I I don't, I just, I guess most of the corporate jobs I've ever had, um, they just skip that part completely. Mm -hmm. There's no lifting up. It's just putting people in their place. Mm -hmm. I mean, did you experience that hard rock? You know, hard rock's a different breed. And actually I was thinking about that when, when Tom was talking about it before, because you think about the people that work there. You know, it's so easy to pick the aesthetic, but people that are tattoos and pierced up and colored hair and they're just unique. They really, truly are the island of misfit toys. And they weren't, I would say, given a chance to go work at some other company literally because of the way they behaved and act and certainly looked. And yet they're some of the most awesome people on this planet. And, you know. When you create an environment where you can get these types of people here, you get loyalty with that and they tend to stick around and you get all this awesome productivity that comes out of it. So 
there's that side of it. But I think in that particular company, because we were born and, and bred out of that for decades, people that come to the, the table to work hard rock, once they get through the training, they're a hard rocker. And so there was a lot of lifting up. Like we really celebrated diversity and, you know, before this was pretty popular to yeah. talk about now. So I think that particular company, and there's a couple others out there that we could point to, but I think in general, to your point, corporate America doesn't do that. It goes back to what Tom, you were talking about before. I mean, really people were focusing on trying to fix people's weaknesses and make them better versus letting people fly, like letting them utilize their strength or like Teresa saying, don't focus on what you love to do. You're going to get there. Focus on just crushing what you are doing right now. And there will, there will be some greatness that comes out of that. So again, I'm, I'm with you. I think that particular company is a little bit different, but definitely when you look around right now, it doesn't happen in, I don't think in the business world as much, there's probably some that are doing a great job. Tom, when you were, well, it, yeah. it really comes down to luck in some ways too. Like I was lucky to have that first mentor. Mm. Uh, and you know, I, I, and once you get that, I guess that self-awareness, you can then pick and choose your spots a little bit better, but uh, you know, there's no, th there's no question in my mind that I, I got lucky. Yeah. I have a, uh, a chapter in my upcoming book really on mentorship. And I was not that big of a fan. I almost hated using the word and, and at hard rock, we didn't talk about mentorship at all, but it is clear to me that when you have inside, outside, a couple friend mentors, like there is such beauty with people trying to help other people get to whatever their nirvana is. I mean, whatever it is, business, personal, your story time is a perfect example. Like I, I think just because of your background and your smarts anyway, and just, you, you know, you got a great wit about you, you would have already been successful no matter where you went. Maybe it would have taken you a little bit longer if it wasn't for Frank, right? Frank was his name. So. Yeah. yeah, Frank. Yeah. So, you know, you, yeah. you, you have this inflection point. You get this, this, this moment in time where you get to meet somebody who helps get you to the next level. I think you would have gotten there anyway, but to really put you to where your strength is, now you're just focused again on all the goodness versus dealing with all the obstacles and focusing on the weaknesses to ultimately get there. Amen, brother. Yeah. I love it. I would, I would assume that with the work that you do now of, of really, I mean, it's all in the research field. It's all staring at data and, and capturing all these sorts of things. How, how do you think when, even in the process of collecting that sort of data, whether that's doing a survey or, or an exit poll or, or whatever that might be, I would even assume do you got how, how do you approach that with with the teams that are capturing that data do you give them advice like hey lift this person up before you <laughs> before you put them in their place uh is there is there an approach that happens that allows you to get better data even in, maybe along those lines well the one thing that we do try to do uh is is to be non-judgmental about the data that we look at and i think uh, you know, the Bon Jovi problem is a is a big part of that, right? If yeah. you if you look at a number, like if I were to say 2% of Americans do this, you know, I think most people are tempted to say only 2% or yeah. just 2%, right? But that's millions of people. And so it's, it's our job to fairly characterize what are, in fact, the attitudes of millions of people and to understand why they hold those opinions. And I, I think for a lot of people, and it really does come down to understanding, 
you know, all these kind of various factions that we have, people's facts on the ground are different, mm-hmm. you know, and, we, and you can say you're, you're not entitled to your own facts, and, and that may be true, but the facts on the ground are different for me living in a high-rise building in downtown Boston uh, as they are different from someone living in Flint, Michigan, or someone, you know, living in, in the middle of Utah, or someone living uh, in Youngstown, Ohio. Like, everybody's facts on the ground are different. And so it's understanding that when you're just when you're looking at statistics, the average doesn't mean anything. It's all of the components of that average. And the more you understand them, I think the, the better head you have about you at, at processing data uh, and making better decisions. Mm-hmm. Have you ever in your career seen a time where facts have had to be, I don't even know the word, are argued or um justified more than this last year it's been building for a a little while now you know we we do a study a quarterly study we've done it for several years with uh with marketplace if you ever listen to marketplace uh from american public media uh called the marketplace edison research economic anxiety index Mm. and one of the things that we reported uh a, a couple of three three or four years ago actually was an increasing distrust in government statistics, uh, especially kind of on on one side of the aisle, you know, and ostensibly these things are facts, right? If I say the unemployment rate is going down, that seems to be a fact, right? Um, but the truth is, employment in this country is sort of uh, is differentially spread in pockets, and you know, where I grew up, I grew up in northern Maine, in a part of the country that was you know primarily engaged in uh, paper mills, lumber harvesting potato harvesting, things like that. And, you know, the, the paper mill industry has, has pretty much evaporated in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, you can say unemployment's going down. But if you look at the part of Maine where I grew up, it sure isn't. It's going up. Sure. So people have their own facts on the ground. And what that has led to, I think, is is a distrust in, in other people telling you that things are better or other people telling you that things are worse when they don't necessarily understand where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, one of the things that I talk about um, a lot is is the process of making good decisions. And, and you know, it starts by making a decision that's born in your values. Um, but the second part of it is you've got to go beyond the truth in the room. And, you know, our experience with, with our son and sort of what the truth in the room was at that time was the truth in the room. They did not have an answer to what the problem was. Um, but it wasn't the absolute truth. It was just the truth in the room. And when we expanded the room, uh, by 500,000 people, lo and behold, we found an option that we weren't aware that even existed. And I would assume, I mean, that's sort of the, the same basic thing of what you're saying here. Sometimes those facts on the ground are the facts on the ground, but they're not the absolute facts of, of, of the entire country and what people are experiencing. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's, you know, that's a big part of it. And, you know, another uh, big part of it that really I don't think it's talked about enough is geography. Um you know, back at the end of World War II, I don't know how deep down this rabbit hole you guys want me to go here, but uh, back at the end of World War II, uh, you know, people who are uh, liberal, people who are conservative, Republicans, Democrats, everything in between, they all came back from the war. They all lived together. 
in the first, you know, kind of prefab American suburbs. They drank at the same bars. Um, and over time, and it's not a conscious decision, but it's, it's a part of the normal transitions of life. And you think about, well, I'm, I'm taking a new job. I need to think about where I'm going to live. Ah, this looks like a good school system, or I'm comfortable in this neighborhood, or, you know, you make these sort of uh, consciously unconscious decisions. And over time, you end up in pockets with people who think very similar to you, you know, and uh, that's, you know, the, the truth about elections is that, you know, and, and I see this at the precinct level data that I look at from our work on the uh, the exit polls, which I've been involved with since 2004. You know, when you look at, a, at an election that looks like it's a 50-50 election, that 50-50 result is comprised of precinct after precinct that went 80% one way or the other. Yeah. And mm. that's the truth of how we live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that, like even in Florida here, which is predominantly a Republican state, uh, when you look for where the Democratic vote came from, it's in these tiny little clusters in about four different areas yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a huge state, right? Yeah. So uh, it, is so, it is so true. This is why these guys on the digital map on on the cable shows they can get down to the county or like you said down to the precinct they can almost go listen these results haven't come in but we know this is 80 percent democratic republican whatever they can almost make that leap so as the uh, as someone who has studied this in a perfect world if 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 uh, or, or or maybe we make it a monarchy and we make Tom our king. Um, how I'm already at night. Are you? You're oh, sorry. Almighty, I'm sorry. God Almighty. Uh, where's the sad trombone? Cue the sad trombone sound right yes. there. Um, Tom, how would you suggest we start to battle that, or or is it a battle um, that you even try to to, to fight? There, there is an answer to it, and I don't know if, if and again, I, I'm not going to be partisan one way or the other here, because sure. contractually, I cannot be. Um, but, uh, you know, the one thing that has accelerated this is uh, is gerrymandering. And when, you know, a political power gets in, when a political party gets into power on both sides, they tend to redraw the district in such a way that that district is uh, even more for their party. And that sort of accelerated these, you know, precincts that go overwhelmingly one way or the other. And it doesn't matter if you look at the House of Representatives, uh, you know, think about the the nuttiest congressperson, either Republican or Democrat that you can think of. That congressperson goes home to a district where 85 percent of that district agrees with them. Yeah. No matter how nutty you think they are. Yeah. Um, And gerrymandering and redrawing those districts. If you ever want a, a real laugh, look at some of the, con- the congressional districts in uh, Maryland, like Maryland District 4, for example. Have a look at that and you'll have a good laugh. There's nothing geographic about those districts. It's like circles, you know, it's circles Frankenstein monster. Loop, not, not that jiffy loop across the street. Right? They're bizarre. Um, so that, that's probably where I would start to attack. Hmm. I love it. So, so maybe just to, to tie these two thoughts together because i i think you were alluding to this earlier brand when you you think of chris jammy's you know quote you have to lift a person up before you can really put them in their place i i took it literally first off exactly like you were saying does that mean 
you really positively have to prop somebody up before, you know, you, you kind of give them the negative feedback. And it's, it's not about that. I mean, what he's basically saying is to your point, you need to shine a light on them and see how and who really rises to the top, which goes then back to, to Tom's thought. And I guess, you know, the, the thought that you had was about figuring out where people were good at, you know, what are their strengths? How do you do that? And so maybe the question is, as we can sort of round bases here is how do you find out as early as possible, what people are good at? Cause you said yourself, you're not really a fan perhaps of, I don't know, these personality assessments or things like that. What are some things that maybe you would recommend that, geez, if we could find out what they were good at, we could put them in their place pretty quickly. And then we could obviously see the results that come out of that. Yeah, I, it's something I struggle with, to be honest with you, and I don't claim to have the greatest answer here, but I think the thing you can do, and I, I work with a, a lot of younger people at Edison, is not to be too quick to put people in a box, uh, to make sure that you have lots of cross-disciplinary teams, uh, that you're rotating people around mm-hmm. uh, to see, you know, from project to project, having them do different things. Uh, in some cases, that means we're fairly flat structured. In some cases, that means in a given project, they're taking on uh, an inordinate amount of responsibility, and in other projects, they're they're taking a back seat. Um, but just giving people that time to develop, because look, I was an idiot until I was thirty, honestly, <laughs> about a lot of this stuff. It just takes it just takes time and exposure and revolutions around the sun for some of this stuff to cook. Uh, and I think you just you just can't rush to judgment. You can't rush to judgment about other people. You yeah. can't rush to judgment about yourself. You've got to give yourself some time to, to marinate. Those are awesome. Those are great examples. I love it. Well, listen, bro, we can't thank you enough. If people want to stay in touch with the work that you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Our published work is at edistonresearch.com. Uh, I'm fairly active at Twitter, uh, at Webby2001. And I don't know if you guys have heard of podcasts. <laughs> They're <laughs> Uh, but I, I write a newsletter on podcasting and audio, which is at tomwebster.substack.com. Yes, I I receive that. I read it. It is one of those things, uh, things I hear is what <laughs> shows up in my, uh, literally what shows up in my inbox. And it's always a highlight. I have to tell you this, brother. I'm going to tell you I'm a little disappointed because I was expecting to get a, a, a glimpse of wisdom from you. The quote, I, I fully expected it to come from Jalen Rose, but that's Okay. The next time, oh. <laughs> the next, next time. time. Well, you know, I will say this. One of my favorite Jalen Roseisms is that people are put on this earth uh, to fill one of four purposes in your life: to add, subtract, multiply, or divide. Mm. Oh. See, dang, he did bring two thoughts. He's to got the more party. than I'm telling you. He's a treasure trove. He is. Dang. <laughs> and drop Mike. <laughs> we out. Listen, brother, thank you so much. You know you're one of our favorite people. Um, We hope that this year is uh, everything you want it to be. And uh, just thank you so much for spending a a few minutes with us on Thoughts That Rock. Thank you, guys. Great show. Really happy to be here. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Rock on. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode. Yeah, and if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event, whether as a webinar for a virtual event or in person as a conference keynote, contact us directly at thoughtsthatrock.com. Until next time, rock rock on. on!